So um, we are continuing tonight in our series called The Proverbial Life. We've got this week and next week left. If you're new with us, we've just been uh, four weeks. It's a four-week series in the Proverbs, and we're looking at how the Proverbs and the wisdom of the Proverbs affects our lives and the decisions we make and the things we do as God's people. And my heart and our heart is that we'd be a people who live a proverbial life, who live life according to the Proverbs, but the Scriptures as a whole, obviously, as well. Um, in case you weren't here, uh, just to recap for you quickly, um, Howard actually started the series off and he preached a really great message. It was an overview on the book of Proverbs and what Proverbs is actually all about and how it's all about wisdom and God's wisdom for specific and particular situations in our lives. And then Jolene preached last week and, and she spoke about having wisdom in our online life, our virtual lives. And she called it pro-virtual or something like that. She got clever with her name. Um, and I think it was a fantastic message on, on how we need to honor God um, on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, and all of that stuff. And how we need to honor each other with, and honor God with what we look at and what we expose ourselves to when it comes to media and that sort of thing. So now we're going to take a bit of a, not a detour, but we're going to be looking at um, the difference, well, not the difference, the relationship between wisdom and wealth, wisdom and money. What does Proverbs say specifically about what attitude we should have towards our finances? And what, what does it say about how we should acquire wealth and, and how we should be using our possessions and our finances? When you turn to Scripture, Scripture in general, you find that it's got a lot to say about money and the lack of money, wealth and poverty. With some topics, we can get um, a little bit off track. We can uh, get a little bit confused as to what God's Word says. Take, for issues, to take for example, sun tanning, right? We're not, we're not really going to find much in God's Word on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to be sun tanning. Right, so, so we can develop all sorts of theologies about something like that, but we don't have very many specific instructions, if any at all, about a lot of stuff that we go through. So there's not that much to be dogmatic about when it comes to, say, suntanning. But when it comes to money and possessions, we've got the opposite problem. God's Word says so much about wealth and, and so much about poverty that it's, it's, it's easy to develop an imbalanced theology and perspective on money and wealth. On the one hand, it's easy to see where the prosperity gospel comes from or prosperity theology comes from. You just got to take a few promises from the Mosaic Covenant out of context. You got to mix in a bit of Malachi 3 that speaks about throwing open the storehouses of heaven. And then you add into the mix some of Jesus' statements about receiving anything you ask for in his name. And wham, bam, you've got a cake that says prosperity gospel. On the other hand, it's possible to come up with an imbalanced poverty theology. You just got to point out that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. You got to turn to the story of the rich young ruler. And you got to stir up or stir in there the parable of the rich fool. And it's quickly, or you're quickly able to move into a place where your theology says money is bad and so is everybody who has it. You could make a biblical argument if you really wanted to that God loves rich people. You just look at Abraham, Job, Zacchaeus. Look at the way God blesses obedient kings and go, this is God's desire. Look at the prayer of Jabez. There's a whole study done on the prayer of Jabez. It's an obscure prayer in the middle of the Old Testament. It just says, Lord, bless me and enlarge my territory. And it says, because Jabez was a righteous man, God did as he asked. And we develop a whole theology about how now that's God's will for all of us. Thank you, Max. May the Lord bless you. 
But you can also easily make the biblical argument that maybe God hates rich people. Just look at the rich young man. Look at Lazarus and the rich young ruler, or the rich man and Lazarus. The book of James speaks a lot about riches and the foolishness of rich people, or people who hide behind their wealth. Just read Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. So it can be easily confused. We can become confused as to what God's stance is on this. What, what is wisdom when it comes to our finances and money? How should we think about money and our possessions? What are some of the biblical principles to keep in mind? How should we see wealth and poverty? How should we handle our own wealth and perhaps our own poverty? And the good news is that Scripture's got the answer to these questions. So this evening, we're going to look at three main headings. First one is this. What should our biblical attitude be towards money? Because I think as Christians, we need to have an attitude towards wealth and poverty. So we're going to start with this. We're going to start with the fact that according to God's word, there are things that are better than money. That, that should be our default position. That should be the first attitude we have towards money. There are better things in life than wealth. In other words, money shouldn't be a top priority for us. Our attitude towards money should not be that it is the most important thing in this world. In fact, it should actually be quite far down our list of priorities in this life. But here's the sad thing. I just think so many people are so concerned with wealth and riches that it is the number one priority in their lives despite what they say. You just got to look at how we live and you'll see that our lives and our hearts tend towards a desire for money and wealth and riches and we never have enough. But God's word says there are things that are far more important than wealth and riches and we're just going to touch on five quickly. First one, honesty and kindness are better than, pros- than prosperity. Proverbs says, what a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. I'm not too sure if we're able to reconcile this idea of not having money but really being um, honest, being better. But that's what God's word says. If I think about people that I have in my life, I, I know people who are incredibly wealthy and people are, are incredibly poor, but what I value about them is that they love the Lord and they're honest. And I would rather have a friend who's got nothing, but who's honest with me and who loves me deeply than someone who's got all the money in the world, but isn't honest and is deceitful. Proverbs says that a good, rebu- a good reputation is better than wealth. How many times in the business world have, have, have people squandered their reputation and ruined their character and broken trust just to get on top and just to gain more? How many times have people backstabbed others just to, just to get a little bit ahead, just so that they can get that extra little bit of income, just so that they can gain a little bit more and, and buy some more stuff and, and maybe gain some more worldly status? God's Word says your reputation is better than any wealth you can consume or acquire. Godly character, according to the Bible, is more important than wealth. Proverbs 19.1, better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. 16.8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. As I read the scriptures, I'm convinced of this, that as we're filled with the Spirit, there's only one thing that satisfies, and that's relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how many possessions you have, you'll always long for more. 
I think there's this idea where we need to be pouring into the heart of God and into kingdom things more than we are pouring into acquiring wealth. And as we develop our character and as we become more like Jesus, so we're full and we're blessed and we're satisfied. Our character, I heard someone preaching a message saying that our character is one of the only things that's going to last. Everything else is going to fade away. Everything we have is going to fade away, but only that which is eternal is going to last. And we're going to recognize one, because we're going to have new bodies, right? In the new heaven and the new earth. And the way we're going to recognize each other is by the character that we have and how we look like Jesus. God's word says that character, godly character is more important than wealth. This is a huge one. A peaceful home filled with love is better than a bank account filled with money. God says that's better. Here's the Proverbs. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. This is something our community and our culture long for and so desperately need. Homes that are peaceful and filled with love. Homes where children are being looked after and loved and moms and dads are honoring one another with time and with energy and with effort. Where the home environment is being protected but so often it's been broken apart for the pursuit of wealth and stuff you cannot take with you. God's word says wisdom is better than wealth. And this is what Howard unpacked amazingly when he opened up this, this series. This whole book is about wisdom, the book of Proverbs. God says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. There have been times in my life where, and I'm sure all of you guys can relate to this, where I've needed money. But then there's also been times where I've needed advice, godly advice. And I can tell you now, the money has been a blessing, but nothing has satisfied me more than getting godly wisdom and counsel from a friend. That's just satisfied. Far more than money ever has. And I honor God for where he's blessed us financially as a family, but what I truly value is the wisdom God has poured into my life through other people and directly into my life through the Spirit. And we need to be a people who understand that there's just so much more to life than money. God says those are at least five that are more important. So that's the first attitude we should have. Understand that there's so much more uh, to life than money. We, sh we should understand that money is not really a top priority in the kingdom. The second thing is this. We, we should have an attitude towards money that does recognize the potential that money has for good when used properly. I think we all understand and know and agree that money isn't inherently evil. It's the love of money that Timothy says is at the heart or at the root of many evils. Money in and of itself is not inherently evil. Proverbs 10, 15 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. This isn't gonna come on the screen, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Obviously, money is useful for some stuff, but I think in the Christian world and in the world in general, there's far more teaching on the blessings of money than there are on the dangers of money. I'm going to run through some of the stuff that just came off the top of my head, and I didn't think we should spend much time on this because we could all write a list of what we know money is good for. But just some of the things in my life, to buy food. If you don't have money, you don't have food, or you can't buy food, and your family starve, you starve. We know that money is good for this. That is a blessing. It provides you with a home and your family with a home. You can clothe yourself, educate yourself and your children. These are all blessings that money affords us. You can simplify life by purchasing 
transport. You can prolong and preserve your life through medical aid and being able to pay to go see doctors and buy medicine. Create memories by going on a holiday and relaxing and having fun with your family and with friends. You're able to give to the needy. You're able to honor God that way with your money. Bless others. Leave an inheritance for your children. And the list goes on and on and on. There's so many positives that money can bring to us and do for us when properly used. These are all godly things. And I don't want to be that person who stands up here and goes, if you have money, you're bad. That's exactly what we said in the beginning shouldn't happen. There's this balance and this understanding of um, of the kingdom that we need to have when it comes to our money. And, and to say that money is bad outright is an incorrect perspective. So appreciating money is an attitude we should have. However, as I said just now, there's far more teaching on the blessings of money and teaching within Christianity that says we need to pursue more and more money and wealth than there is on the dangers and limitations of money. So the third attitude we need to have is, is one that recognizes the dangers and limitations of money. I think as God's people, we have to understand that money can be incredibly dangerous. Our attitude toward money should be one of caution because money will corrupt you if you're not careful. And the pursuit of money will rule and reign your life, in your life if you're not careful. Although money is a blessing from the Lord, it cannot be trusted. Here's what Proverbs 11:28 says. Those who trust in their riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. 1 Timothy 6, 8 to 10. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Just think about the prodigal son. If you know the story of the prodigal son, you'll know that he was somebody who wanted wealth like this and asked for his inheritance from his dad before his dad passed away. And as quickly as he got it, he squandered it and found himself in a place where he was eating out of a pigsty because he was starving. I think about broken homes where um, the priority is to work for money and, and in such a way that unhealthy and unwise decisions have been made about family time and how much time you spend together. And I minister to teenagers over and over again who just go, I wish my parents were present. I wish my parents were present. What are your mom and dad doing? No, they're working. They're working. Oh, they're working overtime. They're working late. How are you and your dad doing? No, we don't really have a great relationship. Why? I never really see my dad. He's at work the whole time. He's at work the whole time. And I think there's a place for working hard. But I think we need to honestly look at our hearts and just go, God, how much time am I spending working for money versus pouring into the things that are meaningful? There's this desire for money that can corrupt the good things in life. There's an unwise amount of work sometimes we put into making money, and yet still we're not content. There's this quote that I read, um, a lady by the name of Veronica. I don't know how to pronounce her surname. Too clever. Veronica, too clever. I don't know. But this is, this is what she says. Our culture has bred consumers and addicts. We eat too much, we buy too much, and we want too much. We set ourselves on the fruitless mission of filling the gap or the gaping hole within us with material things. Blindly we consume more and more, believing we are hungry for more food, status, or money, yet really we are hungry for connection. And I think so many people's hearts desire to be connected with the Lord that just don't know it and their God has become money 
and the pursuit of their God is ruining them and creating the hole in their lives to become bigger or causing the hole to become bigger. God's word was there before Veronica was. Proverbs says, 2345, do not wear yourself out to get rich. We live in a busy culture, a busy world, and most of the time people are busy with work. Most of the time. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied, and with their income, they are never satisfied. This too is meaningless. So if we're not careful with money, church, it is going to make us arrogant, and it's going to give us a false sense of security. In the book of Revelation, there's a church that's being addressed. This is what it says. It says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I saw this really, I couldn't find it. It was on Facebook somewhere. One of, our, one of the friends that I have posted it and just speaking about this issue, there was, a, there was the Grim Reaper standing and uh, there was a grave and uh, this person was obviously dying and there was a whole bucket full of money and this person was passing into the life after this and it was just a powerful picture that depicted this truth that no matter how much you have and how much you work for and how much you gain, you leave it all behind in the end. It doesn't matter how much you have, nothing is gonna protect you Nothing is going to protect you other than the Lord God himself. And so often we pour our time and energy and effort developing riches when tomorrow your life can be gone. So money can make us proud and arrogant. It can also make us apathetic to spiritual life. I was having a conversation with somebody one day, and I don't know if you know, but the, the past Powerball, I think someone won 232 million rand. And I was speaking about what I would do with that sort of money. And there's a lot of things I would do with that sort of money. But also speaking about what they would do to my heart and to my mind. And to my life and to my walk with the Lord. And it's sort of like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. It's like that, it's like that, that moment where Frodo is about to give Gandalf the ring. The one ring. But if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, I'm sorry. But you'll get this just now. If you are, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. The ring is powerful, but it corrupts the hearts of people who have it. And Frodo's like, yeah, you need to take this thing, Gandalf. And Gandalf says, don't tempt me. You don't know that I would want to use this thing out of a desire to do good, but through me, it would wield an evil too powerful to imagine. And I just thought that is exactly the same with money. You have no idea how many good intentions I have for all the money that I ask sometimes the Lord to give me. God, I will do this, I'll give this, I'll give this, I'll give this. But God goes, yeah, what about the back door, all the stuff you haven't mentioned? I'm like, oh, yeah, that stuff. There's this place where I think, we think we're going to be able to handle a lot of money. But when we get it, it corrupts us. And God in his grace sometimes spares us that. And we think he's being hard on us by not making us wealthy. God in his grace is saving us spiritually by not giving us money. And that's often a perspective we don't have. Proverbs twenty eight eleven says, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor 
who has understanding sees through him. There's a guy named Agur. He's a godly man. In Proverbs chapter 30, you, you read about him. And he's a guy who refused to ask God to make him rich, fearing that it might cause his heart to turn away from the Lord. He dared not, it says he dared not request wealth from God. And in his own words, he says, because I may become full and deny the Lord and say, who is the Lord? And I wondered if I would face with the same temptation or the same opportunity, similar to Solomon, say to God, God, I can ask you for anything and you'll give it to me. I know that, but I'm not going to ask you for wealth and riches. I can confess before you now tonight, I promise you I've failed this over and over again. I have asked God to make me rich before, more than once, and he didn't. And in my years with the Lord, I've realized God is far wiser than me. And in maturity, I'm embarrassed to say that that's what I've done. But I think there's this desire that we have to become rich, but our attitude towards wealth needs to be godly. Finally, money, money cannot buy salvation. It's one of the dangers of money. We have this idea that we're saved. Grace is never obtained through a contribution of man. Man, Money can't only save us, can't only not save us. It often produces pride and self-confidence. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Acts, 20, Acts 8 verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. While it may not be accurate to say that all good things or the best things in life are free, it is true to say that the best things in life cannot be purchased with money. The best gift we could possibly have as Christians is already in Jesus Christ, and that was not a free gift from God's side. Free to us, but bought at a tremendous price. The best gifts in life may not be free, but they certainly cannot be purchased with money. So what should our biblical attitude be towards spending money and acquiring it? Many people may not think so, but it matters a great deal to God how you make your money. It really does. Proverbs reminds us that God is intimately concerned with how we get our money and where we get it from. A just balance, it says, and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are in his concern. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. I'm going to speak about something that you may not agree with. We can talk about it afterwards. I, I have a problem with the lotto and people playing it, particularly Christians, because I think it really oppresses the poor. And I think we have this heart to get rich quickly. And I think there's a place where we don't understand what we're contributing to. But nationally, I was just doing some research on it for this. Nationally, the intake every week or every time they do the lotto or the Powerball is something like 50 to 60 million rand. And I just think that is coming out of the pockets of people who already pay taxes. So it's like a fool's tax, really. And I just think, what could be done with that money from Christians and from other people to instead of sowing it into a chance, sow it into something kingdom? It's just my personal conviction that I want to share with you and just go, you know, like I've, I've done it as a Christian. And God just deeply convicted me. 
as to what I was really trying to achieve and what I was really trying to do. And I don't want anybody to feel guilty or convicted or shamed in any way, but I want us to take seriously the heart of God for us and money and what we do with our money because we think it's just 50 rand here or 100 rand there, but that money belongs to the Lord. And we either sow it into kingdom or we sow it into chance. Proverbs 10.2 says, ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. You can read those yourself as I continue. Many people seem to think that they can launder money which they've gained dishonestly, and, and they can get away with it by giving a portion of it to God. Almost like God's going to turn a blind eye. They've convinced themselves that even though they've got this money um, illicitly or, or through crooked means, that if they give a portion of God to them, because he's getting a piece of the pie, he's not really going to be concerned with how we got it. But God is not a fool, nor is he partial to one way or the next just because of who you are and how much money you have. Money should not be sought without a cost. How we, how we earn money, we shouldn't get money without a cost to us, without work, hard work, without some sort of investment from our time. Money obtained too easily or too quickly will soon be gone. Again, just back to that whole winning of big money thing. You know that m most people who win huge sums of money end up in a worse position a few years later than they were when they first, when they originally got the money. Because the heart still stays the same, except now you've got a power to do what your corrupt heart wants to do, whereas before you weren't able to, just like the prodigal son. His heart was already in that place, and when he got the money, he was now able to fulfill those desires. Poor is he who works, it says, with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who tills the land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues vain things lacks sense. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The opposite of diligence is hard, the opposite of diligence and hard work is laziness. Because lazy people don't want to work, and they have to make money to live. They turn to quick and easy means to try and make money. Get rich quick schemes. Proverbs teaches us that we need to work hard for it. Otherwise, we're not going to appreciate it. Money should not be gained at the price of principle. Proverbs 10.2 speaks about ill-gotten gains. Money should not be gained at the expense of truth. And you see the scriptures up there. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth is filled with gravel. Sense in which we cannot be dishonest as Christians in business when anything that we do. Money needs to be gained with hard work, not through ill-gotten gains or ill-gotten means, and it should not be gained at the expense of truth. Money should not be gained at the expense of justice. How many people have been unjustly dealt with? How many people have been robbed? of essential services because of greedy politicians and people who mismanage companies, mismanage our country, how much money has been stolen, how much death has occurred because people have mismanaged the finances which ultimately belong to God. I just think as Christians, we need to be in this place where we are very concerned with how we get our money and how we spend it.
we cannot gain money at the expense of justice. Money should not be gained at the expense of others as well. Money should not be gained at the expense of righteousness, nor should money be acquired at the expense of biblical priorities. And I've just run through those quickly, but I want to unpack this one a little bit. We can agree, I'm sure, hopefully we agree, that we should never sin in order to gain wealth. But we have to take that principle a step or two further and delve deeply into what Proverbs speaks about when it speaks about the wisdom with money. Not only should we avoid sin to gain wealth, but we should not sacrifice any biblical priority to earn money. Because there are so many other things in this world that are more important than money, when you start to rearrange your priorities to get money, you've broken biblical principles and rearranged things in a way that you shouldn't. For example, we've already learned that a happy home is more important than having tons of money. So when we pursue money or when the pursuit of money takes its toll on our family, when it takes its toll on our relationship with the Lord, when it takes its toll on our being part of the body, when, when our pursuit of money takes its toll on our relationships with family and friends, when it begins to violate biblical principles and biblical order and priorities, it should be laid aside and it should be ceased. That's not to say we don't earn any money or we stop working. It's to say that when we've got enough, we've got enough and we should be satisfied and content. I'm convinced that if as families we spent more time with each other and in the word and prioritizing time together, you may earn less, but you will have so much more. That's a biblical principle. I'm convinced that you may need more stuff, but you'll have everything you desire to have. Families may then be poorer, but you will also be far richer as you cease the pursuit of wealth and riches and pursue God's kingdom for you and for your family. Then finally, I want to end with this. What, is, what does God's word say about how we spend our money? So there's attitudes you need to have towards money. It's not the be all and end all of life. Money is good when used well, but it's also dangerous. How we gain our money is important to God not through ill-gotten gains, but through hard work and diligence. And how we spend our money is as important. And Proverbs has got so much to say about our financial obligations and the exact order we might debate and disagree on, but the fact that these are obligations are in Scripture and are evident in Scripture. One, we have an obligation to give to God. Honor the Lord from your wealth, it says, and, and from the first fruits of all your produce. When we do this, when we give to the Lord, it's an acknowledgement that He was the one who gave it to us and we're just giving back to Him what already was His in the first place. We have this really awesome way of thinking that money we've worked for is our money. I speak about it as my money. I speak about it as our family's money. But really, truly, honestly, it's God's money if we think about it. Just giving back to God what belongs to Him so that He can do with what we do with it what He wants to. We have a responsibility to provide for the needs of our own household. It's a very interesting scripture. 
And this is a more assumed one than it is an explicit one, but there's a scripture in 1 Timothy 5, 8. It's actually quite scary. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And obviously, we all have means that stretch a certain distance, and we can't extend ourselves beyond what is healthy, but there is a sense in which we should be using our money to give back to God, to extend the kingdom, and to enrich the lives of those in our family. We need to be blessing one another in our family. In Proverbs, we see the godly woman and what her household is like and, and what her family are blessed by in her. She works for herself. She's got her own business. Her family are clothed. She's put food on the table. She's well-respected. She's a woman who uses her money well. She works hard to get it, and she spends it wisely. It says she discerns wisely. She sees a field and its value. She buys it, and she produces stuff off the field. She provides for her family. She understands that the use of her money is to go towards honoring God and blessing her family. And now, it's not frequently that this occurs, but, but it is possible that you can give so much to other people that your family starts to be neglected. It is possible that that happens. And that is obviously what God is saying shouldn't happen. I don't believe that we should help each other at the expense of our families. But sadly, more often the problem lies in the fact that neither we nor our family are willing to give up more so that we can help others. That's more the problem we face. It is possible to overgive and put your family in a tough situation, but the biggest problem we have is that we're not willing to sacrifice some so that others can have some. We're not willing to lower our standard of living to help those in dire need. Three, and this is the third one, the last one, we have an obligation to help provide for the needs of the poor. The truly righteous is never unaware of the needs of those around him. It says this in Proverbs, there is one who scatters, yet he increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. He who is gracious to the poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. The last two, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eye will have many curses. She extends her hand to the poor. This is the Proverbs 31 woman, and she stretches out her hand to the needy. We've got an obligation to use the money we have, no matter how much or how little, to give to God, to bless our family, and to honor God by giving to the poor. Those are at least three very significant priorities that we have in the spending of our money. Basically, if, if you want to live a proverbial life when it comes to your money, you're going to, and these are just some soft conclusions that I've come to, or tentative conclusions. If you live a proverbial life with your finances, you will probably acquire more money if you work hard. It's just a fact. And, and if you're full of wisdom, you'll probably acquire more money. But if you care about getting money more than anything else, God's word says you're the biggest fool. 
Money is a blessing from God, but you'll be even more blessed when you give it away. It's a biblical principle when it comes to our money. God gives you money because he loves you and it is a blessing. But he has not promised to make every Christian rich. But as he blesses you, and if he does, it is your duty to be generous to others as he is to you. It is wise to save money, but don't think that money is a security blanket. Wealth is more desirable than poverty, but wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 to 31 says that Christ is for us, wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let those or let the one who boasts boast in the lord money can give you many things in this world but ultimately if your heart is controlled by the desire for it money becomes your god and you end up boasting in yourself it promises to make you self aware in an ungodly way where you begin to think that this is all about you and that you've made yourself. Through and through, money is an issue of faith for the Christian, or at least it should be. Money is a gift from God, but the only real true gift is found in Jesus Christ. And only he can satisfy, only he can bless. And so the pursuit of our lives needs to be Jesus. That's the wisdom from the Proverbs when it comes to money. That's it for tonight. I trust that God has challenged your heart and convicted you on, on this whole issue of finances and how we gain money and what we should be doing with our money. And I trust that, that there is a freedom not to spend your life pursuing wealth and riches and not develop this, this need in you to keep up with the Joneses and to have everything the world says you need to have. We are enough in Christ, and Christ is enough for us as God's people. He should be. He should be. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word.